Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Jokic behind his back. What a taste like, Jokic. your sitter. Wow. As long as there are fans on this is that's all I care about. So the Warrior fans come in here, the Celtic fans come in here, Laker fans come in here. I take that L on the way out. Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to the Pickaxe Podcast. It is your host, Zach Mikosh, with DenverStiffs.com. Mr. Gordon Gross is not with us this week. That is my fault. And we were off last week. Also my fault. I've been uh, I've been a busy guy, and the, uh, the playoffs have been um, longer than I expected. Let's just put it that way. It, uh, it's been quite the ride. But we are still on the roller coaster, at least for one more game, as the Denver Nuggets have forced another... Game 7, after being down 3 games to 1 to the Los Angeles Clippers, they come back just like they did against the Utah Jazz. Now we will see on Tuesday, tomorrow, whether or not they can pull it off again. Would be the first team ever to pull off a 3-1 deficit comeback twice in the postseason. There's only 12 teams who have done it ever. No one has ever done it twice in the same playoffs. The Nuggets have the opportunity on Tuesday, but before we get into that, let's get down back into game six from yesterday, the 11 a.m. local time tip-off, or I guess mountain time tip-off, local time there in Florida, it was a, a 1 p.m. tip-off, a interesting scheduling snafu from the NBA, or I suppose just a scheduling reality that they had to, um, I guess, play that game at the, uh, at the same time that the NFL Sunday weekend was was kicking off, so probably not the best ratings there uh, on the TV, but still um, still an excellent game and, and one that I thought was um, way more entertaining than, than well, I can't even remember who the, the football game that was on that morning. I think it was maybe like uh, it was like Packers. The Packers? I think the Packers were playing the Vikings. I don't know. Something like that. It was the... Um, the Sunday morning game. So no, no, uh, worry for me. I, uh, I had no concerns skipping that to watch this Nuggets game six. I did have concerns about the Nuggets being able to win this one. I've had concerns for the past couple of games. I thought they were done after game four. I thought they would lose game five, gentlemen sweep, and it would be over with. It just did not seem like they've had any answer for the Los Angeles Clippers. And in some ways they haven't. The Clippers have played uh, very, very well throughout this entire series. They've just, I think, had some lapses uh, that have that have basically come back and and bit them. We they typically seem to happen in the second half. I think in Game Three they they had a pretty big lapse in the in the first half, um, and yet were able to come back and win that one. These past two games, though, it's been the second half where the Denver Nuggets have done it. This is a game went a lot like Game 5 in that the Clippers got ahead early. It looked sort of like everything was over. Maybe the Clippers themselves thought it was over a little bit too too early. And in the end, uh, the Nuggets march all the way back. I think they were down 19 um, 
in game six, and they end up coming back and winning by 13. So quite the turnaround. I forget what the, uh, what it was. It was 64 to 35. They outscore the, um, Clippers in the second half, starting in that second quarter, third quarter, sorry, where they scored 30 points to the Clippers 16, uh, really was the, the difference, um, in the game. They were, they were down in that half by 16 going into halftime and, uh, you know, basically were only down two going into the fourth quarter. So that made, that made all the difference in that one. Like I said, very, very similar to game five, except for in game five is Paul Millsap providing the boost, uh, in the, in the, in the third quarter. In this one, it was sort of a, um, kind of by committee there, though Jokic, Murray, um, and Porter all had, had, big moments there in the third quarter. Gary Harris played very well as well, um, as did Monty Morris. There was quite a few guys who kind of chipped in and they did it together as a team effort. Jokic being the key catalyst, though, as he's kind of been for Denver the entire uh, the entire series. And I think that's, you know, there was a reason when we put out our staff predictions, I said, hey, even if, even if the Clippers win this series, particularly if they don't do it in a sweep or a gentleman's sweep, particularly if the series goes long, You've got to believe that Nicole Jokic is going to be um, the MVP of the series. And the reason I said that, even if the Nuggets lose, and I think at this point, even if they lose Game 7, I, I would still look at this and say he was the MVP um, of the series. And, and the reason I said that is because they're simply just just kind of like uh, the Jazz and Jamal Murray. Uh, now it's it's the the Clippers and Nicole Jokic. Like they, they just simply don't have anybody on the roster who can defend that guy. Like you can't um, – you can't expect Ivica Zubats to to contain Nikola Jokic, and I like Zubats. I think Zubats Zubats is uh, a very good player. He's you know he's, he's interesting. He definitely fits the mold, and is I would say is on the high end of the mold um, for a, a center for a, the typical center that we've seen for a championship team. I mean, it's been uh, going on. I mean, going on almost twenty years. Basically, that's kind of been the norm. It really started in the nineties. The Bulls were that team to show you, hey, you don't necessarily have to have a dominant big at all. You just kind of need a big, uh, a Luke Longley, a Bill Winnington, if you will, um, who will just sit that back there and kind of, you know, grab rebounds, um, be somewhat of a presence in the paint defensively and, and just be kind of a body you can throw at guys. Uh, and, and as long as you've got outstanding wing players, if you've got outstanding other front court members, if you've got an outstanding point guard, something like that, you know, you can, you can make that work. And we saw that, like I said, we saw that with the Bulls in the nineties. Um, the Spurs certainly carried that on through the two thousands. You think guys like Fabricio Alberto and, um, Nazi Muhammad were, were, you know, um, all-star centers. I mean, the, uh, or not all-star, sorry, uh, championship winning centers. Um, we did it with the Miami Heat and, uh, LeBron James. <laughs> I mean, Joel Anthony is on the, probably on the low end of that. Uh, mold there, but, uh, another guy, we've seen it with, uh, the Warriors and, and the, through their championship run. It's just kind of been that thing is, is as the, the league has sort of shifted away from dominant big men, um, or at least dominant post big men, teams have had, it's become, Nikola Jokic doesn't grow on trees, right? So, um, teams have a very hard time finding a player who will fit the style of offense they want to run in this day and age. That is, that is seven foot tall and 250 pounds. Like those guys are just very, very hard to find. Well, the Nuggets have one. They have the best one, um, there is in the league. Maybe one of the best, uh, I mean, in terms, of, it's hard. I'm not going to call Nikola Jokic the best center of all time. He's definitely not there yet. And he's going to have a hard time, um, ever reaching that pinnacle considering the, you know, the centers of the old age are, are some of the greatest players the basketball has ever seen. Um, 
but in terms of the new age center, like there's there's no one. He he's definitely the best the best center to play since Shaq. I guess is probably where. I, and maybe I'm forgetting something. I mean, maybe people are going to say about Dwight Howard and and with the Orlando Magic. Um, you know, obviously Pau Gasol was very good, and and Pau was in in a lot of ways the kind of that new age center mold too. But I don't. I, it's hard for me since Shaq to think of another center. Um, who's as dominant as Nikola Jokic is simply because uh, there's, well, not simply, but two things. Because one, like I said, the league has gone away from the Shaquille O'Neal type center, and that's not really the way the game is played before. Um, and then, and then two, just because, I mean, Jokic is just so, so, so good at those things like ball distribution. And, and in this case, three point shooting, right? I mean, he's been um, absolutely fantastic in the series and in the playoffs shooting from three. And in that has, just opened up so much for the Denver Nuggets on their offense and makes their offense hum so much better when Jokic is knocking down threes, when teams have to respect, they've got to respect him out there. They've got to respect the pop on the pick and pop, um, which he has just killed the Clippers on in, in this series. So there's, there's this thing that, that, you know, typically a guy like Ivica Zubats is, is perfect for a championship team. And he very well, I mean, the Clippers very well, well may win game seven. And, and then, and then he's, he's in a great spot, right? Like Ivica Zubats is the perfect guy to throw at a JaVel McGee or a Dwight Howard, uh, or even put on Anthony Davis at times. He's probably going to struggle with Anthony Davis, uh, certainly as well, but he's, he's one of those guys, or those are the type of guys that you have an Ivica Zubats for, right? A guy who can just kind of uh, body up these dudes, you know, uh, a guy like Dwight Howard, who's not going to stretch the floor, who's not going to be a great playmaker and is in there for his athleticism, his rebounding, his rim protection, like uh, Zubats is the perfect guy to just body him up and keep him off, help keep him off the glass, help push him out of the paint on defense. When, when Howard's on defense, you know, like that's exactly what you want that guy for. Um, Jokic is, is just totally, totally different. And, and because of that, it, it makes it just really difficult for uh, the the Clippers really stop him in any way because they don't have they don't have a Rudy Gobert right they don't have that kind of guy and Rudy Gobert um, who did okay I mean Jokic still still put up good numbers in that Jazz series but um, he Gobert at least made Jokic work for it right at least slowed him down a bit. Um, He's probably one of the few, few centers in the league who can possibly do that. You know, maybe Joel Embiid's another guy who you could, you could throw at Jokic and, and at least cause him some trouble because you've got size and, and excellent defensive ability. And actually, I would say this. I, I tend to worry a bit if the Nuggets do pull off game seven, I would worry about, um, Jokic's effectiveness against the Los Angeles Lakers because they're going to throw two athletic bigs in there in, in Anthony Davis and either Dwight Howard or JaVel McGee. That in the past we've seen will give Jokic some trouble. And, and, you know, a guy like a Dwight Howard or JaVel McGee, they're not obviously, uh, the defensive stalwarts they once were. I don't know if McGee was ever really a defensive stalwart, but was at least certainly when he was younger and athletic, he was, or more athletic, he was, he was a bit more to handle on that end. But, um, you know, those guys aren't going to stop Jokic either. But they are going to make it certainly much more difficult on him because of their just their ability to just kind of body him up, their 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 quickness um, to be able to keep with his foot speed, to keep with his his post play. That kind of and when I say foot speed, obviously I don't mean when he's like I don't mean you know putting the ball on the floor. Though he has done that uh, some some in this series and has certainly had no trouble getting by Ivica Zubac. But those those bigger guys, those bigger stronger athletic guys, particularly when you have two of them to throw at Jokic. That tends to bode better than than what the Clippers have, which is 
you know, uh, uh, Zubats, who's kind of your, your, like I said, your typical kind of role playing center. Uh, and then they have Montrez Harrell, six man of the year. I think Montrez Harrell is, is, is a really, really nice player. He's, he reminds me, he's like, he's like what Kenneth Fareed could have been, right? Like that's Pete Kenneth Fareed right there in Montrez Harrell. And no, I'm not just saying that because they both have dreads. Uh, but the guys both look or play the same, uh, the same type of game uh where they're they're really really strong offensive players they're great uh they have great lob gravity that's a shout out to adam Mares, who always would talk about that with with kenneth fareed um they're great on the on the uh on the glass particularly the offensive glass they're great um finishing pick and rolls things like that but they're not really great defenders and that's we've seen this i mean harrell has been bad on defense he just has he's to the point where you know i think he got benched in game six down the stretch because they just couldn't they couldn't put uh harrell on on nicole Jokic. it just was flat out not going to to be uh somewhat of a uh, deterrent to Jokic in any way. Like he, he pretty much got whatever he want, whether it was Harold not closing out on the pick and pop or just not providing any resistance. I mean, when I think of talk about Jokic putting the ball on the floor and getting to the basket, it's, it's Montrez Harold is the guy he's doing it against. And so then that leaves, you know, your last choice, which is to put your Michael Green in there, which is probably the, the, the group they've had the most success though, though in game six, you know, they, they only had one player who was a positive, um, in their rotation and that was, if uh, Zubats, who was a plus eleven, and and the rest of the team were all negatives. Uh, Montrez Harrell is a negative nineteen. Jermichael Green was a negative ten. So something to be said there too. That even with Jermichael Green out there, they're not necessarily doing um, doing the greatest. The thing though that that Jermichael Green gives you is is he will stretch the floor more. Uh, then Montrez Harrell, obviously, who's not and Montrez Harrell is not going to be shooting threes, whereas Jermichael Green will. So he'll he'll at least he can at least pull Jokic away from the glass that way. Um, cause, cause that's, I think where they get, they get hurt with Jermichael Green is particularly on the glass, particularly if Michael Porter Jr. and Jokic are in there. And that's been, I think I've really liked that response from Coach Malone when Jermichael Green is out there to also get, uh, to get Michael Porter Jr. there. So when Jermichael Green is pulling one, they, they can put, uh, Porter on, um, Jermichael Green or, or Marcus Morris, and then they can switch Jokic to the other one. That helps them keep things a little bit, a little bit better defensively. Those guys aren't setting a ton of screens like Harrell and Zubats are. So you're getting into more of those one-on-one plays with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. And when you do that, uh, you're, you're, you're not setting up that matchup. You can't really, it's harder to target. Michael Porter Jr., it's harder to target Nicole Jokic. But the other thing that I really like about putting Porter in there with Jokic when Jermichael Green is out there is, is you see Jermichael Green pulling Jokic off the glass because he's they're stretching out the floor. Well, and they, but you've got another guy who can crash from the other side um, in in Mon, in oh, sorry, Michael Porter Jr., who's who's an excellent rebounder as well. And between the two of those guys, you know, they're they're just killing him on the glass. When when Green's out there, because there's just not there's just not enough height uh, in general for for the the Clippers to really battle those two guys on the boards, which which really works I think in the Nuggets' favor. But 
Green is also able to keep up with Jokic a little bit more. Uh, he can close out a little bit harder. So he's probably been their best option. But when you talk about Jermichael Green, you're talking about a guy who's, what, like 6'8"? You know, so there's there's just a flat matter that Jokic can shoot over him if he wants to. Or, as we've seen a lot, with what they'll do um, on offense is is they'll just try and get Jokic established in the post um, and then let him go to work. The Clippers almost always bring the double team, and, and he's kicking out you know usually to an open shooter or we're kicking out and then rotating uh, one or two extra passes, and, and we're finding that extra shooter. Hopefully it's, you know, usually it's a, one of your better shooters, either Gary Harris or Michael Porter Jr. is usually sitting in the corner as the guy who ends up being the recipient of that action and it, and it generally has worked out pretty well for the Nuggets so um, I don't think there's anything much that the Clippers can do at this point I think they just kind of have to kind of have to roll with that against Jokic and, and just hope for the best um, in game seven because it's it's pretty clear at this point six games into this series that they're not they don't have anything they're not going to find something in game seven um, to throw to throw at Jokic, it's going to make much of a difference. The other things I really noticed in Game 6, Jamal Murray doing what he should, or kind of what the Nuggets have needed, and that's what he did in Games 5 um, and 6 as well, is that he, you know, he only scores 21 points, but he only took 13 shots, right? He was 9 of 13. He, uh, he only had one turnover. Like, that's really where you need Jamal at in in these games is you need him to be kind of what Jokic was to Jamal in in the first series like you're not going to get 50 point games every night he's not going to score what was it like 142 points or whatever in in three games against the Clippers he's just not they they're gonna throw Kawhi Leonard Pat Beverly and Paul George at him I mean those are those are incredibly good defenders I they're they're Guys who are, are first team all NBA defense type of guys there who have made it a point since the minute this series started, since the minute they knew they were getting the nuggets in this series, they made it a point of, okay, we are going to have to throw everything at Jamal Murray with these guys. He is our number one target, uh, in terms of our perimeter defense because we've seen what he can do. And, and it's a, it's a really a, a statement of respect for, for what Jamal is as a player, but what it also means for the Nuggets is they've got to they've got to find a way to still get him enough action to where he can be your secondary guy. Just like you know what Rudy Gobert was like said he he definitely slowed down Jokic in that first round, but Jokic did enough to be the secondary guy to Jamal Murray, and that's what it's been. Uh, that's what they need it to be in in the reverse. Uh, against the Clippers here, and we've seen it now in in the past two games, and they're both wins for the Nuggets. Like you can't expect Denver, the remainder of Denver's roster, to to just step up every night and be the secondary option to Nikola Jokic. They don't have anybody or are unwilling to use anybody um, in that role other than Jamal Murray. <clears throat> so you've you've got to get it out of him. So when I think of you know I think of Game Four where he really struggled. I mean, that's why I, really when you look at this this series outside of game one, which was just a total throwaway game, game four is probably the, the worst performance the Nuggets have put in uh, against these this Clipper team. And Jamal Murray was just really, really, really bad in that game. And so that's kind of the, one of the biggest keys to this. And one of the keys to the Nuggets still being in this is that he's at least been able to find enough to to carry the Nuggets in small spurts when Jokic is either maybe not getting a shot going, which hasn't happened very often, or just when Jokic is on the bench. I mean, he only spends about eight minutes on the bench, but uh, that those eight minutes, 
it's pretty crucial for Jamal to step up. Now, granted, there was about like two of them in the last game where both of them were on the bench. Hopefully, Coach won't do that again. But um, they need Murray to at least give Jokic the chance to spell him. Even when Jokic is on the court, like if they can just make it so he doesn't have to work for every single bucket and can get a couple of, you know, a couple of those those step backs. He had that, that turnaround uh, jumper late. That was that was big. I'm talking about Murray. Um, as long as they can get a couple of those from Murray and get 20, 25 points out of him, that's going to be enough to at least put them in the game uh, and have a chance to win. So that was the, another big thing I noticed. Um, and the last thing I want to touch on here before we hit the break would be Michael Porter Jr. We haven't been, um, we haven't been on the past two weeks, but um, <clears throat> obviously Porter after game four, um, you know, he, he had the somewhat infamous, um, press conference now, I guess, where, where they're talking about, you know, obviously he, he said some things that some people took offense to or thought should have been kept in house. Uh, I just want to say, I didn't, I didn't really take any umbrage with what he said or how he said it or where he said it. Like it, to me, everything he said was truthful. There wasn't, there wasn't any, and, and I don't really think he threw anybody under the bus. I think he just said, this is the way it is. You know, it's not like, it's not like it would have been different. He didn't specifically say, I, I, Michael Porter Jr. need the ball more. I need to get more points. Like, that's not what he said. What he said was, you know, that he was asked, well, how come you didn't, you didn't score in the second half? And he said, well, because I didn't get the ball. And then he said, well, how come you didn't get the ball? And he said, well, that's not up to me. That's up to the coaches. Like, those are, those are factual statements. That's the, the there was no, uh, editorializing there. There was no adverbs. There was no side shots. Those were just simply statements of fact. That's, that's exactly what happened in that game four. And then, you know, obviously maybe the, the added anecdotes or whatever that he could have, that I think maybe people take umbrage with or think that he should have left out is the parts where he say, well, hey, we can't just be those two guys. Everything's just going to Jamal and Nicola. He goes out of his way to point out that that, that's totally understandable because those guys are awesome basketball players. Um, but he said, we can't beat those guys with just, we can't beat this team with just those two guys. And he's 100% right about that as well. And that's been the case this entire series. They have not been able to win games simply on the backs of Jokic and Murray. Yes, those guys have been the two main catalysts, but there's always been something else. You think about game five, right? It was Paul Millsap's um, huge third quarter. You think about, uh, game six where you had Gary Harris, um, who played particularly well on the offensive in there. And you had Michael Porter Jr. hitting some big shots. Game five, Michael Porter Jr. only hits one field goal. It might have been the biggest field goal of the game when he put that three in down when they were only up by two, you know. So, um, he's 100% right. You've got to find other people to be able to contribute. Other than Jokic or Murray, you're not going to beat a team that is as deep as the LA Clippers if you don't have these added, uh, if you don't have these added contributions from other guys. And when you're talking about scoring, like, yeah, it was awesome to see Paul Millsap, you know, reach into the fountain of youth there in game five. But when you're talking about scoring, it was awesome to see Gary Harris. Uh, kind of gain, get that shooting back a little bit and knock down some threes and, and, and be a, a solid contributor on offense for the Nuggets in game six. But when you're talking about guys who are going to score the basketball, the third option on your team should no doubt be Michael Porter Jr. Like it's, I don't, I mean, we're, we're at that point. And so I think some of it for the Nuggets is just like, Hey, 
they spent an entire season, they spent basically all of their careers up to this point, up until this bubble, not playing with that guy, like not working him into their group. We've seen this with every single player who's ever come to the Denver Nuggets to play offense with them. It takes time to learn how to play in this offense. It's true of Paul Millsap. It's true of Jeremy Grant. It's true of every other single player who's come who wasn't grown organically and even the ones who have I mean it takes time to figure out how to play with Nikola Jokic and to play with this offense and right now when every possession is so crucial where every game is so crucial of course the Nuggets are going to default into what they've worked on for the past several season and knows what works and that's Jamal Murray and the, and the Nikola Jokic in a two-man game like of course that's what they're going to go with but the problem is, is they're facing an outstanding defensive team in the Los Angeles Clippers who can key who can key in onto one thing and I think that's what Michael Porter Jr. was getting at is like we can't just run that one thing because as good as that one thing is this team is good enough defensively to figure out at least how to slow it down if not outright stop it and then we don't have anything else to go to um that was I so I really didn't take I didn't I didn't really take offense to anything he said or the way he said it the fact that he said it in a press conference uh it is what it is I thought it was funny that Damian Lillard decided to to pipe up um to to armchair quarterback that one if you will um and this is a guy who who gets into like you know diss tracks with Shaquille O'Neal on his mixtape but yet is talking about keeping that stuff in the locker room like yeah all right whatever man like I get it like don't throw your teammates under the bus but I don't think he did that I think this was uh, I don't know I think Damian Lillard was just bored needed something to talk about but um the other thing you can say, though, is, is that that's my opinion. Michael Porter Jr.'s opinion is probably way better. It was way more um, tactfully spoken in that he, um, you know, his response was I thought was great. And in talking about like, hey, these guys are you know, Damian Lillard's a superstar in the league. I'm not just going to ignore him. I'm going to I'm going to take what he said and, and, and um, take it to heart. I thought that was that was a fantastic uh, response by by MPJ as well. So he 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 probably needs to work on that part. The the tact in the when he doesn't have time to think about it Michael Porter Jr. has always been a guy who's come across to me as very well prepared that's always the way I've described him in press conferences he's he's well prepared he's well schooled um he's a guy who's known that he was probably headed to the NBA for since he was probably about like 16 years old so he's been and had a chance to be a star and you can tell he's been he's been trained in in how to speak with the media but when he gets in those heat of the moment things or he's on his Snapchat um then he he says things with less tact than perhaps he should, uh, and that's something that he's got to uh, he's probably got to work on, and he'll learn as he gets older. He'll learn that uh, from from these experiences that sometimes it's you you, you just got to find better ways to word things. All right, well let's go ahead and let's hit a break. Uh, we went a little bit longer than I wanted to on that first half, so we're gonna get into the second half of the show. It'll probably be pretty quick, but I basically just want to break down you know this game seven and. Um, whether or not we can expect the Nuggets to win. So stick with us. We'll be right We've all been there. When the budget's the tightest or a time is the shortest, that's when disaster strikes. The last thing anyone wants to deal with in these times is an electrical issue in their home or business. Maybe your light suddenly won't turn on, or maybe a home inspector wants that electrical service changed before you can close out on a property you're selling. Heck, maybe it's not even an emergency at all and you're just looking to finish out your basement or get some power ran to that new AC unit. Whatever your need may be, 
Give Sun Electrical a call. They're a family-owned and operated business that serves the front range, and you can be assured that you'll not only get the highest quality service, but you'll also get the most affordable price as well. Mike, the owner of Sun Electrical, will come to your home or business personally to evaluate your situation and provide a free estimate. And he stands by the work Sun performs as a fully licensed and insured electrical contractor. So give him a call, 719-659-6888. Don't be fooled by the phone number as they'll serve the entire front range from Colorado Springs to Fort Collins and everywhere in between. That's 719-659-6888. 719-659-6888. Sun Electrical, the home of truly affordable electrical work. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Pickaxe Podcast. It is Zach Pinkhouse running solo. Uh, this week, we do not have Mr. Gordon Gross. It was my fault, so don't be blame Gordon. Don't send him angry tweets. Not that you guys would anyways, but um, just has to be said. All right, so let's go ahead. Let's get into game seven. Uh, I've got three keys to this game, and I think that's we'll try and make this, like I said, pretty quick, uh, and then we'll get out of here. The first one is obviously keep feeding Nikola Jokic. Uh, we've spent a lot of time on this, so I won't spend too much more time on this point, but it, but the fact of the matter remains you cannot stop Nikola Jokic with Evita Zubats, Montrez Hale, or Jermichael Green. You can't. Basically, what the Nuggets have to do in this game, what Jokic has to do, is to make sure to not take himself out of it. He needs to be patient. I thought sometimes in Game 6 he got a little bit less than patient there in the fourth quarter. Uh, and, and maybe t- he, he, he almost falls in love with the Sambor shuffle a little too much, I think. Um, it's... We all love that shot. It's not a high percentage shot. It's just not like, and it's, it's a terrible shot for anyone other than Jokic. For anyone that probably shot is like a 10% success rate. And for Jokic, it's probably more around like a 35, 30 to 35% success rate on that shot. Not the best shot to be taking. He usually also takes it. It's usually a long two. Um, he does occasionally shoot it from three. He hit that one in game six, uh, with, with the friendly bounce though. Let's, let's just be fair in here. Um, but he usually takes it as as a long range two, which is not a great shot to begin with. Uh, it's just it's just, the degree of difficulty on that shot is just so high. Um, I think I, I would prefer he maybe shoot it less. I I know that he knows if he has to get a shot off, that's what he's going to. He knows nobody can block that thing. Like and they can't. I mean, he hit in, in game in game six there in the fourth quarter. He hit one of those Sambor shuffle shots. In the eye of Paul George, and Paul George played about as good a defense as you can play on that shot. It didn't matter, and Jokic switched it. Um, but I thought he goes to it a little bit too much when he gets trapped, when he gets stuck, and he's not—he doesn't find something readily available to him. He sometimes will go to that Sambor shuffle shot, and it's—it's it's, like I said, it's just not the the highest. 
success rate shot that you want. It's not the best look he can get. So that that's I think the thing that that more than anything could take him out of the game that he just has to 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 be conscious of is is be patient and and wait for the right basket as he does so many times and 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 don't get frustrated. Like that's the number one thing. This is if Jokic gets frustrated, that's how you beat Nikola Jokic. You can get him into foul trouble that way. You can get him to take bad shots that way. You can get him to not go back on defense because he's too busy complaining at the refs that way. Like that's the the key for him is he's just got to stop or not not stop because I think he's done a great job of it. He's just got to continue to not get frustrated by this defense. Continue to be patient and 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 work through through his progression. And he will. Um, I'm sure he will have just as big a game as he's had. Uh, every single game, every single game of this series. And if he doesn't, then the Nuggets, the Nuggets are going to be sunk. Let's be honest. They cannot win a game without Nikola Jokic being their best player on the floor. The thing that you do like about it is it's game seven. The, the, you know, the strategy is pretty much to the wayside at this point. Each team knows what the other team has. Each team knows what the other team is work is, is bringing to the floor. Each team has had six games to see what works and what doesn't work against that team. At this point, they're gonna. It's just a matter of who can execute better. So um, we know the Clippers don't have any way to stop Jokic. So the only thing that could stop Jokic in this game um, is Jokic, and as long as he doesn't do that, the Nuggets should get a big game out of him, which in itself is not enough to win. But they can't win without it. So that I think I think is encouraging, at least that I would expect Jokic to have uh, to have that big game and be a very very uh, solid part towards a victory if they can get one the second thing is they got that secondary score we talked about this too in the first half like and it's been Jamal Murray and I think it has to continue to be Jamal Murray despite the fact that he's got outstanding defenders on him but he's got to be their their 20 to 25 point game or or him or Michael Porter Jr. or or maybe Jeremy Grant um it could could step up into that spot like the the thing that really has hurt the Nuggets throughout these playoffs is they they ha- haven't been able to figure out how to get MPJ going um, consistently, and they don't have Will Barton, and so they basically are relying solely on Jamal Murray or or a freak game. You know, I mean, Millsap had seventeen in in that game five. He's been pretty pretty bad the entire rest of the postseason. Uh, but he kind of, like I said, he, he drank from the fountain of the youth in there in the, that third quarter of game five. Like you can't really count on that stuff to just happen. And you shouldn't be counting on something like that to happen in game seven uh, against the Clippers. Like you, you need your proven guys, your proven scorers to score and provide support to Jokic on the offensive end. And without, the ability to get MPJ fully integrated without and without Will Barton there, you're relying on um, either Murray to do it every single night, or you're going to need a secondary guy, whether it's Jeremy Grant, maybe a Monty Morris or a Paul Millsap, to step up. And the the chances of that happening are just are just much much lower. So you really are going to look to Jamal Murray. Can he will himself to another 20, 25 point game? Um, or can you find a way to get a Michael Porter Jr. going and, and consistently going? That's been something the Nuggets have struggled with uh, throughout these playoffs. They, that we saw in the seeding games, and, and maybe the reason we saw it in the seeding games more is because the Nuggets didn't necessarily play their starters down the stretch a lot, uh, and so MPJ got more minutes than he got he's getting in these playoffs. But what we've seen in these playoffs is Michael Porter Jr. can have um, big moments 
but not necessarily big games. Like he hasn't, I think he may has only scored over 20 once in the playoffs. And I believe that was the game two blowout uh, against the Utah Jazz. There might be another one in there. Someone can fact check that if they want, but um, <clears throat> they've simply just haven't had a ton of consistent production from him throughout four quarters of a game or throughout an entire game. And like he said, after game four, you know, some of that is just, they just aren't looking for him. They're just not getting the ball to him and they're going to have to figure out a better way, you know, to do that. They're going to have to figure out a way to be stronger at getting him involved, particularly when he's cooking. Like if he's going, especially in game seven, man, like if he's going, feed him, feed him until he's not like that's, that's just what I think you got to do because he's the type of guy like a Jamal Murray, like a Nicole Jokic. Those are the three guys on your roster who, if they get hot, if they're on, like they can win the game pretty much single-handedly. Like if Jeremy Grant is on, he's probably going to get you 15 to 20 points. You know, he's going to knock down like four or six threes. He's going to have a couple other um, buckets. He might get to the free throw line a little bit. Great. Uh, same thing with like a Paul Millsap or a Monty Morris. Those type of guys, like that's that's where they peak out when they're hot. If Michael Porter Jr. is hot, he could score 50 points. Like that's that's the kind of player he is. So, you know, if he's going or if Murray's going, like feed those guys. Feed them until they're not. Make sure that you get that secondary scoring uh, because you're going to need it. And we've seen it. We've seen it throughout this series. If if nobody goes with Jokic, the Nuggets don't win the game. It's, it's as simple as that. So they're going to have to find um, – they're going to have to find that guy. And if it's not Murray, who's willing, who's going to step up in a game seven um, and make make that place? My, my hope would be that it would be Michael Porter Jr. I wanted him to get some redemption uh, for this, you know, for the series because he feels slighted by the Clippers medical staff, um, which maybe is a little bit of manufactured, you know, manufactured motivation or whatever. But I, I believe it. I tend to believe it quite a bit. I think the guy is, is taking a lot of. Uh, has definitely or has a big chip on his shoulder because of the way he fell in the draft um, and you know and the Clippers medical staff was it was a big reason behind that um, so I, I believe that he he feels definitely truly feels slighted by them and um, you know it's it's if if he can get redemption in a Nuggets win and, and a Nuggets eliminating the Clippers then like I'm all for it, man. I'm all for it. So I, I hope he can do that. But one way or another, they're going to have to find somebody who's going to be their secondary scorer. And the final key that I will give you guys before we get out of here to winning game seven has got to be stopping Paul George. That has been that has been a thorn in the Nuggets side uh, for every loss they've had in this series. And, and even some of their wins, they've, they've not been able to stop Paul George. Now, Paul George is a great player. It's, it's simply it's very easy to say, well, stop Paul George. Well, you stop Donovan Mitchell, stop Kawhi Leonard, right? But you have to you have to figure out a way, or not and I say, because the Nuggets have won. And in game six, they won. George and Leonard had had both had high scoring games in that game. George actually scored more than Leonard. George with 33, Leonard with 25. Um But Paul George had 11 free throws. Like you can't, and he was 11 for 11. Like you can't allow him to attack the basket um, at will and and you can't give up and the reason he gets so many free throws is because you're giving up too many blow buys or you're giving you're rotating too slowly on Paul George and he's you're landing in his his shooting space um, on the closeout or you're giving up a blow by and then getting called for a reach in um, as he's getting by you going for the layup that's that's been a a massive issue with them uh defending George the entire series like 
I, if you're going to play him straight up one-on-one and, and he shoots over you and makes the shot and he's going to do that, like you live with that and you're okay with that. But it's, it's the, really it's the, they rotate. They have just struggled rotating on defense and, and for whatever reason, it seems like every time, like the guy that, that ends up getting left open in the corner is Paul freaking George. Like you can't do that. Like that guy, leave Jermichael Green open. We saw that in game six and in the, the broadcast even mentioned it. I think it was, I don't know, maybe it was Mark Jackson, I, I think, who mentioned, like, um, you can't, like, I get it, you're rotating. In, in this case, they were trying to rotate, but, like, Gary Harris leaves Paul George in the corner to go defend Jamichael Green um, out at the wing. And it's like, well, give Jamichael Green the freaking three at the wing. Like, if he hits it, he hits it. So what? You know Paul George is going to hit that corner, a wide-open corner three. Uh, they, they've got to figure out a way or to try and slow that down. And, and when you think about when they won game two, you know, when they had that, the, which was by far their best victory um, of the game, they go wire to wire in that one. When you think about game two, Paul George has 22 points on 19 shots. Okay. He only had five free throws like that's and, but was four of 10 from three shot, shot 40% from three, but it took 10, three pointers. Like, that's the type of game that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about, you know, obviously in that game 2-2, Kawhi Leonard really struggled, uh, had his worst game of the series. But you, you, you know, I'm not saying hold these guys to 13 points, right? I don't think that's, <laughs> that's a realistic approach to trying to win this game seven. But what I am saying is don't let Paul George get to the free throw line 11 times. Don't let Paul George get wide open looks from three point range because he's going to bury them. Like that's, that's where you can try and, and I think shore up your defense. And if you can do that, you will find a way to win. Like there, there's, there's not much you can do against Kawhi Leonard and Kawhi Leonard is going to be uh, a guy who's going to get a lot of minutes. He played 41 in, in, in game six. He's going to be out there the entire time. Paul George is going to be out there uh, the entire time too. You're going to have to pick your poison between one of those two guys. And Kawhi Leonard is a guy who even when you play him straight up, like he's so smooth that he will get into, you know, he'll get into the paint. He'll get to the free throw line. And not, I'm not saying like he gets fouled. I'm saying he just works his way dribbling the ball to that free throw line area. And for him, that's, that's a money shot. Doesn't matter how, how much well you're defending it. Like he's just so, so good. Um, at hitting that mid, at getting that mid range game. It's funny, you know, we talk about, you know, guys not, shouldn't be playing, uh, mid range basketball, but, uh, Kawhi Leonard is one of those guys who's just so good at getting to that those spots, and then he's just pretty much automatic. So I, I just don't think you're gonna get, you're gonna stop him, or or you're gonna, you know, more than so than you did in in Game Six, which you win. You know, he scores 25 points on 18 shots. He was only eight of 18 from the floor. Like you, that's a pretty good job against him. It's. And even though I say, you know, I mean, Paul George was 9-21, pretty good job against him from the field as well. But but again, I come back to the 11 free throws. Like, you've got to – I think you've got a much better chance at slowing down Paul George than you do at Kawhi Leonard. And if you can do that, if you can bottle him up, like, you you will win this basketball game. I, I truly believe that. So those are my three keys 
get Jokic going or make sure that Jokic eats, find that secondary scorer, and stop Paul George. And if you can do those three things, I think the Denver Nuggets walk away with this uh, and head to or stay in Orlando and and play the Los Angeles Lakers, which uh, FYI I think is going to be a much tougher series for them. Not that this one isn't incredibly tough, but I don't think I think the Lakers are probably the worst matchup for Denver of any of the playoff teams. But we will save that for next week. Hopefully we will have that for next week. Until then, we will um, – if we don't, we will obviously do, we will have we'll have Gordon on either way, but we'll do a post mortem of the season, um, and kind of talk about the next steps for the Nuggets in the off season if they are not able to pull this off. But we will see that tomorrow in Game Seven. I'm sure it's a seven o'clock uh, at night tip time. So make sure you're at your TVs, and hopefully, hopefully next week we're, we're talking about you know, boy, gosh, this was so crazy. By next week, I guess we'd probably be talking about like Game Three or Game Four of. Um, of the, of, the, of the series against the Lakers. So hopefully we're talking about that and not what the Nuggets are going to do in the with the 22nd pick uh, in the NBA draft. All right, everybody, make sure you are following us on Twitter. I am at Zach Mikosh. Gordon is at GMoneyNugs, at Denver Stiffs as well. Make sure you're following us over on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well as follow us on Instagram. That's at the Denver Stiffs. Don't look for at Denver Stiffs. Some enterprising young millennial you know, 10 years ago or so when Instagram started, figured out to get that, get that handle before we did, but at the Denver Stiffs on Instagram, um, and make sure you are subscribed to the Denver Stiffs podcast network. We had this podcast today. Nuggets numbers will be out tomorrow. Uh, we may have another episode of the dig coming this week, obviously the Denver Stiff show as well. So lots of good content there. The only way you can get all of those shows, don't look for them individually. You won't find them. Uh, you have to subscribe to the Denver Stiffs podcast network on your wherever you get your podcasts you'll find it there so make sure you guys are doing that if you could leave us a rating we would and subscribe we would be so 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 thankful um yeah and with that we will talk to you guys next week Listen.